Hello and welcome to Game On Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. Today we'll be talking to gamer Chris Brady. Chris, like Rhonda, was one of the original dissertation participants. She is a dedicated gamer involved with the Austin, Texas chapter of Extra Life. We chat about diamond ponies, rogues, and being hard enough core. If you haven't checked out the Game on Girl blog lately, we'll catch you up on what's new for 2013 and beyond. And we'll discuss, is it just a game? Or is it the community? Or is it the vicarious life you've always wanted to lead? Our listeners chime in on the question, do you feel angst when you decide to permanently lead a game? So stay tuned, and we're glad you're listening to Game on Girl. Some of our listeners may not realize that you started this podcast all by yourself. (laughs) Yes, all by myself. (laughs) (laughs) All on my lonesome. It uh, it really was an idea that sort of came to me um, during my Christmas break last year when I had come to the end of kind of my six-month hiatus from anything Game on Girl and dissertation related. And I decided that I had these great recordings of these women gamers and I wanted to do something more with them than just have them sit on my hard drive for posterity. So I decided to take those recordings and start talking to them in a podcast format. And it didn't take long for me to realize that um, just one voice with a bunch of recorded voices wasn't going to be particularly engaging or long lasting. Mm. And that is where you came in. (laughs) Yeah, uh, lucky for me. I mean, I mean, you posted the idea the same way um, that you did whenever you were looking for the dissertation research people. And I looked at it and it really in the beginning was a, a romantic idea, but I did pause and seriously think about it because I knew that it was going to be a, a commitment. But after th- throwing my hat in, I, as always, I threw everything in. Gauntlets, the armor, the weapons, I I was all in. (laughs) And I've been so delighted that you have been um, and so thankful for everything that you've given to Game On Girl. Um, And you can see some of your armor in the logo. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what we do here, I feel, is so much stronger for your dedication to this as much as for mine. So, And our mission is as Game On Girl and as the host of the podcast and for me is the sort of coordinator for the website is pretty simple and pretty complex all at the same time. We want to create a community and environment where gamers can share their ideas, thoughts, and experiences with game culture. And clearly the conversations that we've had are proof that gaming is an important and valuable part of many people's lives. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's me co-hosting the show, but we've we've really found out along the way that the, the stars always end up being whoever it is we talk to that week. They're, it's so enriching, and they've got so many great things to say. I, I, I'm just, you know, you could replace me with a robot that just asks the questions. <laughs> I don't think so, Rhonda. <laughs> you give yourself enough credit. Okay, good. <laughs> Ooh, strokes accepted. Thank you. You came up with some ideas when we started reevaluating, hey, you know, this is the end of our first year. Are we lining up with the ideas and the mission that you have for the podcast? And we had some discussions and you came up with 
uh, having some featured writers on the blog. And our listeners will actually recognize most of these names because we interviewed them. Yes, they've been they've been guests from most of them. Actually, I think all of them have been guests yeah. from shows. And as you said, they stole they stole the spotlight when they were on the show. Most of them. So. Uh, they just continue to do that now as writers for the site. So uh, one of our writers uh, was in an episode back in May, uh, role player Sharon. I'll play them all. And we talked to her about her experiences as a role player and the stories that she created and the characters that she made as she was as she was gaming. Yeah. And we have uh, Jerry. You may remember his uh, handle, Wildcat LVL. He was in the episode in June, Role Player Jerry Identifying with Drag. And I believe that was the first conversation we had about um, cyber drag. Yeah, with with someone who was um, a a true sort of dedicated, usually played a a male player who usually played female characters. So he's he's really um, our representative in terms of one of the main ideas that I talked about in the dissertation about cyber drag and people sort of experimenting and and sort of checking out gender in a different way in online. Yeah, and Jerry's an anthropology student too, right? Yeah, he's an anthropology student and he wants to do a study about his uh, the women gamers at his university. So he's going to be doing that. I'm hoping that one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure he was writing for us was that he could uh, share some of his findings when he does his own research. Good, more research. So, and then we have uh, an often referred to uh, guest on the show and, and one of my close friends, uh, Mark Scholl, is writing for us and he was one of the first live interviews we actually had on the show back in episode five from the guys secret geek shame which i have to say um is one of my favorite titles of all time oh yeah (laughs) and they were the first guys we interviewed too and the first live interviews up until then we had done a lot with the recordings and we had done some analysis of different pop culture but we hadn't had actual live interviews until the guys came on so that was very exciting as well well, and finally, obviously not uh, least, is Toria, and we talked to her back in July, uh, breaking down binaries. That's when we talked about casual versus hardcore terminology. She's a Portal 2 fan and a Civ 5 fan, which I can totally understand. <laughs> yes, and she's, uh, Toria is, uh, I, I met entirely through Twitter, and she's been really the foundation for me to understand like how Twitter works. She taught me how Twitter works. So she, she holds sort of a special place for me in terms of uh, my community on Twitter because she really did help me understand what Twitter was about in terms of talking to and engaging people. And I'm delighted to sort of bring her in on this because she always has a really great lens to look at gender. And she's already started by writing some articles about Portal 2 and looking at the way gender has been manifest in non-humanoid characters. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And two now about two of the the AI characters in in Portal, which is is really taking what we're doing and what we're talking about here to the next step. So I'm really I'm really interested and intrigued to see what she has to say as as those develop as well. So. Well, and there's one more addition to the team. You uh, handed off the editing task. Did I did to Ryan, who is also in uh, episode five, uh, the Secret Geek Shame. Uh, Ryan is a, a media specialist. I, I guess I'll call him as my my own personal definition. He does video editing and audio, and now audio editing, and he's editing the podcast for us. And I I am so delighted that he's doing it because I swear it sounds so much better when it's not me. <laughs> 
Well, and I know it's got to be an extremely difficult task because the whole AV equipment type thing and the recordings and stuff like that is just way out outside of my scope. As you mentioned, when I launched the podcast all by myself um, and came up with this idea, I literally trained myself how to edit um, audio files, you know, digital audio files in order to be able to do this. And it was a very long and very painful process for me. And I did get better at it with time, but it, it never came to be something that I particularly enjoyed or was very adept at. And there, there are certain things that I could never quite get to work the way I wanted them to. And Ryan has come in and from the start has has really helped to make this the show sound just that much more professional. So we're delighted. He's uh, Desert Tree Media is his company. So if you're looking for anybody to help with media stuff, you might want to check him out. And this collection of people that we've now brought to Game On Girl and this expansion that we're doing is really just proof of the community that we're trying to build here. And it just delights me that we have even more content to share with our listeners that's coming from more perspectives and more diverse perspectives, because that really is the the heart and soul of what I want Game On Girl to be. So thank you all for joining us, uh, Sharon, Jerry, Mark, Tori, and Ryan. Um, didn't know it was possible, but we are making Game On Girl even more awesome. Yeah, well, I mean, there's so much material out there. It, it's it's really impossible to keep up with it. And it, it's not... We're not a news site, so it's not you and I trying to gather all this information. From the beginning, you've wanted gamers and the gaming community to have a voice, and that's what it is. And so we hope you guys will go out there and check out our new writers. It's an entirely different uh, venue or media for you to get content. If you don't have time to listen to the podcast or you only listen to it on holidays or vacations, you may be able to get to the blog and read much easier. And I know we're seeing a whole lot of comments out there and we love that. So check out the blogs and the writers, get to know them and you'll find their links there and go back and look at their old podcast too and give them a listen. Yeah, you can check out the podcast that they were on and everybody did an introduction about themselves. So they give you some background on their history as a gamer. So go check that out. Gameongirl.com. Coming up, we'll talk to Chris Brady. Welcome, Chris, to Game On Girl. Thanks for coming and chatting with us today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Fantastic. So let's let's get started with sort of our, our basic background questions. So tell us a little bit about yourself and about your gaming history. Okay, well, um, I've been gaming since I was like six when my dad surprised me when I came home from school one day with a, with a Nintendo. And um, I'm now 30, so that gives me a, a few years of experience. Uh, I kind of went into hardcore when I was playing MMOs in college, backed off a little, but still play a lot. And nowadays, most of my efforts go toward a charity that works with uh, gaming to raise money for children's hospitals. And that's uh, which charity? That would be Extra Life. Fantastic. We have a a few people who listen to the podcast and some people that we chat with on a regular basis who are, are big into Extra Life. So I'm glad you're here representing for all of them. Yeah, it's a super fun organization. It looks like it. Now, I, I looked on the website um, and to see uh, if they are they going to schedule another event. They do sort of a yearly thing, right? Is that how it generally works with Extra Life? Yeah, every year around October 20th, 26th, you know, like that week before Halloween, usually on that Saturday before Halloween, they do the, uh, what we call the 24-hour marathon. And they should announce a date sometime within the next couple of months, like the official date, but 
really, to tell you the truth, you could cheat. You could do it like a couple days before, a couple days after. Nobody's going to care as long as you do it. As long as it's right in that same sort of date range. Yeah, pretty much. Well, Chris, you were part of Regina's original study with the dissertation, right? Yes, I was. So if you can remember, I mean, has anything uh, changed as far as your gaming habits or anything like that since she interviewed you the first time? Oh, yeah, a whole lot has. Uh, When she interviewed me, I was still playing MMOs, and I kind of dropped out of that just because it got to be such a grind with all the, uh, what do you call it, all the spreadsheets that everybody was running. I mean, it's all about theorycraft, and it's absolutely nothing about the game. And I'm, like, sitting there looking at these people who are running these spreadsheets that are more complex than anything I deal with at work going, "Um, this is supposed to be a way for me to unwind after work, not a way for me to get so wound up I need to go to work to unwind. (laughs) No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that definitely takes the play out of um out of gaming yeah for sure and which uh, which mmo was it that you were playing at the time it was mostly world of warcraft okay okay so you're a wow a wow head right? yeah i was i'm a recovering walkaholic <laughs> well now i've heard regina i've heard you mention the um spreadsheets before chris what what is that I don't play MMOs. Um, basically, with an, an MMO, and I will not lie, I never ran these things, so I only know what the people that ran them did. But um, within an MMO, each boss has a percentage to drop certain items, and there's supposed to be like so many stats that are good for this kind of character with this build. And I mean, it's just like taking the item and breaking it down into its components to determine mathematically or logically or egotistically who it should belong to yeah <laughs> i like that as an addition there of egotistically <laughs> who it should belong to yeah that makes sense now because they've got all those stats online for diablo as well yeah yeah P- people could do the same kind of a spreadsheet work for diablo as well yeah, yeah and they do but they don't take it nearly as seriously yeah i think it's the the multiplayer and the percentage of drops etc that adds to the sort of hyper sensitive um ego driven <laughs> oh oh definitely definitely like right now my big game is borderlands 2 And it's a gear game. It's solidly a gear game. But as much as people want to create those spreadsheets, they can't because everything's so randomized. (laughs) Yeah, we're all on board here with the Borderlands. Yeah, we're all Borderlands fans right now. So (laughs) It's fantastic. I love it. And I don't care if people call Gage girlfriend mode. I'm sorry. It's really hard to hit something when you have a negative 300 accuracy and a plus 300 on your damage, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we know. We both know. Well, I know it makes it a little bit better because I've been playing it in Assassin. So, yeah, sometimes those sniper rifles are not very friendly. <laughs> it's it's all about the Malawans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is, actually. Yes. So, uh, is Gage the only character you've got in Borderlands? Oh, no. I've got three different versions of Gage that I play with three different people. I've got a Zero, I've got an Axton, and I've got one uh, Maya. Wow. See, that's what's so great about, to me, Borderlands 2 is you can kind of settle into almost any of them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, come on, even if even if you find yourself absolutely sucking at the game, just listening to Handsome Jack is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've mentioned that a lot. Actually, we mentioned that on the last episode as well. We're talking about the humor in Borderlands 2 and even, you know, Handsome Jack's quips are, are hilarious on a regular basis. So I mean, come on, does does anybody here not want a diamond pony right now? <laughs> yes, definitely. I wanted to see that diamond pony so bad. I know. I'm really hoping they put it into a DLC. <laughs> Maybe they will, given uh, given the guys designing the game that Rhonda met and talked to. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I met him last year at Dragon Con. Oh, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. And it was it was like their first con and they were really overwhelmed. The two rooms that they put them in for the events that they spoke at, they actually had to have people at the door to keep people out because the rooms were overfilled and the fire marshal was upset. Oh my goodness, that sounds so awesome. It's yeah, <laughs> really cool. They had no idea how popular they were. No, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Now, did uh, you play Borderlands 1? I did play that a bit. I never actually finished all of it. I did like the main story, but I didn't get a chance to finish all of it just because the way they did it on PC was a little bit wonky. But even they admit that. Yes, they do. Yeah, well, that was that's I, I've run into that a couple of times now where sort of console to PC interfaces are... Um, not particularly friendly to the PC players. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, by the way, you need a controller. Right, yeah. And you're yeah, sitting there going... It would be really easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I would I would be all for the controllers if not for the fact that the reason I play on PC is because I need the, you know, the WASD setup, you know? Yeah, I know. That's the same the same reason. I, I try to do a shooter or anything that involves running around with a controller in my hands, and it's comical. Or pathetic, depending on your perspective. You end up looking at the ground going, wait a minute, this is not what I was trying to do. Yeah, the ground. Or usually somehow I manage to look at the sky and I'm like, <laughs> these are really pretty clouds, but somebody's killing me. I would like to like get this where I need to be right now. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you could take the same controller schematics and drop them into any other game. But for some reason, there's that block with the with the shooters. Yeah, I just I just can't I just can't run around with that one. But you know, that's I practice probably would make me would help but I tend to be so bad at it it's hard to get over that hump of okay let's get better at this skill (laughs) yeah I get that were you really happy about the um, additional character development in Borderlands 2 yeah and you know honestly there is one um, of the I guess you would say NPC the newer characters that I really wish they would develop out more even though they did a lot with her already and that's Tiny Tina oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're also fans of tiny tina <laughs> you know it's it's really funny and i've been talking to like other people that i play with and people are just split on her because of the yes, whole yes. idea of a completely psychotic 13 year old <laughs> it is kind of disturbing but given the world of borderlands too it, it's exactly it, it follows it follows with the story and sort of you know the that exactly Ex- oh. i mean come on you read you hear the echoes with how she was kind of created and you're like it's kind of a miracle she's not even more whacked out yeah exactly yeah. exactly you gotta she's living in the borderlands world i mean come on yeah yeah we, we uh-huh. it's, it's kind of cool because i think it's kind of cool because it's kind of like okay if you're going to make this realistic or try to make this world real this is the kind of thing that would happen in post-apocalyptic you know world like this so it makes sense that she's kind of crazy in 13 and all absolutely the, all the donks, you know <laughs> I want to well, go back and play that mission now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious. Well, as far as avatar development is concerned, are you drawn to more the female characters or the male characters? Or are you drawn more to like races or skills? Uh, I was drawn to the skill sets. Like I originally played um, one of the, uh, Oh, what do you call it? Sirens. Because I thought the idea of crowd control was going to be easy for me. And the crowd control is fun and everything, but it's kind of a one-hit deal for me. Um, 
I knew when I when the Mecromancer was announced that I wanted to play Mecromancer, so I was basically just biding my time until that dropped. <laughs> I haven't I haven't played the Mecromancer, so I'm not sure. I've I've, it's I've had addictive. Yeah, I've had friend. I have several friends who downloaded. I haven't downloaded any of the DLC yet. I haven't gone through the original content far enough yet. I mean, I've been. Oh, you're I've gonna been, love Oasis. Yeah, I, that's what I've been told. <laughs> Conversations that I've had, I've had, I've had quite a few people tell me that. So I'm looking forward to it, but I want to play through the original content at least one more time before I before I indulge in any more DLC and I just get so many games I get backlogged too many jobs too much work to do oh what a (laughs) terrible chore (laughs) (laughs) so I have I'm curious Chris for you know you came so you you had a lot of time that you spent in WoW where there's like a lot of extensive well not extensive but a fair amount of um, customization you can do to your characters and I remember from our first interview that you had several uh, tunes at that time as well is mm-hmm. changing from that to the more um, um, limited character creation and modification in Borderlands, do you feel a distance between your characters that you might not have felt in, in WoW, or do you feel the same kind of attachment? Do you spend some time personalizing them? How does that kind of work for you? Actually, with Borderlands, I feel like I own the character more than I did with WoW, because when I say that things got really formulaic and everybody was running spreadsheets and running statistics and trying to find the most effective this and that, Mm -hmm. they had defined for you what it was acceptable to have as a given character in a given situation. So let's say you're on a raid team, you're only allowed to have this build with this talent and these many points in it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, actually, I hit a, I hit up against that myself a couple of times when I was in a raid and people were like, why don't you have this spec'd out like this? And I was like, um, because I don't. Exactly. And you're like sitting there going, I built it for the way that I play. I built it for the way that I want it. And you're telling me that I can't have that. Well, that was the thing that, that always sort of uh, irked me about the way the WoW community kind of evolved like that was that the reason why I think an MMO is interesting and dynamic in the first place is because people do play the characters differently and play their classes differently, and that's how it should be. But everybody wanted to min-max, so. Mm-hmm. Well, the, when you guys are talking about the spreadsheets and everything and the way that the WoW community seemed to find this groove, I mean, was the game, w- was it biased to these specific builds? I mean, was the game really that limited underneath and not necessarily that, you know, obvious on the surface? I don't think it was intended to be like that, but I think it ended up that way just yeah. because ultimately anything that you do on a computer is going to come down to numbers. And people started noticing what the numbers were, you know? Yeah, that was the other thing. I, I When I started raiding at uh, toward the end of my WoW time when the Raid Finder had come out, I was running with another warlock who was getting, I don't know, twice the DPS I was getting. And so I whispered, and I'm like, hey, can you give me some pointers as to how I can improve this? And his essential response was, um, you know, you need to macro your spells you know, you need to push one button and have it do everything for you. And I was like, what, what, why would I, why would I do that? And it's like, well, if you want to get the max numbers, that's how you need to play. And I can understand that. But for me, it just took so much of the pleasure of playing away where I wasn't actually thinking or doing anything. I just needed to have pushed this one button that would set everything up for me. I was like, what's the point of having a character that I push one button to play? Absolutely. And, you know, the funny thing is all those people that started doing that, they got their butts handed to them when Cataclysm came out. I tried to uh, I tried to go back after that. And all of a sudden, anybody who came back from vanilla was like worth their weight in gold just because they knew how to do mana management 
Right. And um, spell rotation. Right. Because everything that everybody had been using was just moot at that point. Right. Because you actually have to pay attention. You had to pay attention to how to play when you were in the first. That's what for for anybody who's listening that that doesn't know what vanilla WoW is. <laughs> it was the original uh, WoW game that went. What was it? Max fifty or sixty. Um, 60, yeah. 60 was the max level. You didn't get a mount until 40. Um, you know, it would, that was the old, the old school. That's what people call vanilla wow. So that's what the leveling was horrible. Don't forget that. Oh God, don't forget the the leveling was horrible. Like I never made it past, I think it was 42 or something like that. Cause I just got so sick of trying to level at that point. So. Oh, warlocks were absolute butt up until like level 50. Then at level 50, all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I can do stuff. Yeah. I'm no longer a gimpy mage. (laughs) Exactly. That's what everybody kept trying to tell me. Stick it out. Stick it out. And I was like, screw you guys. (laughs) Yeah. I'm done. I'm done at this noise. Well, Regina, with your dissertation, especially with the group that you kind of sought out to interview, I mean, Chris is kind of the the perfect case because she was playing MMO mm-hmm. and she was working in that anonymous community. Chris, what kind of experiences did you have in the gaming community on on your MMOs? I ended up in guild leadership a lot. Like, Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I first started playing in MMOs, I actually started with City of Heroes, and I didn't get really far with that. It was just kind of something to do. I was living overseas, and so nobody was on when I was on. But um, when WoW came out, it became so popular so fast, even in the beta, and I was in the beta, um, that you know, me and a couple of friends started a guild, and that guild quickly got noticed as like a feeder guild for the raid guilds. Oh. So people would join us to learn how to function within like a raid setting, we would take people that were like semi-decent players, but needed to learn to shut up and pay attention <sighs> and teach them to shut up and pay attention, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, I I remember this one healer we got. It was so dumb. What happens when, as a squishy, you suddenly gain the uh, attention of whatever mob you're fighting? You run to the tank. Not away from the tank, but to the tank. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that they take the aggro off you and have the hit points to handle it, et cetera, et cetera, right? Exactly. If nothing else, they can do a thunderclap and stun him. Right. But um, this guy was such a moron. He would overheal, then switch into shadow and start doing DPS, and he wondered why he was getting all the aggro. Okay. (laughs) It gets better. It gets better. His DPS was great, and his healing was fantastic. But... Instead of running to the tank whenever he did draw aggro, he'd run away all the way through whatever instance we were in, like slamming a macro on his keyboard that was like, tank, get this off me, tank, get this off me. And we're like, you have got to be the dumbest player ever. (laughs) Oh, and then, of course, everybody's, you know, running after him at that point, right? No, no, we got to the point, like, after, like, about five instances with this guy, we got to the point where we just started timing how long it took for him to kill himself because he was that big of a moron. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you do in a situation like that? Do you end up keeping around a player like that and trying to help him out, or do you just boot him out of the guild? Well, what we had in the guild that I was running, and this was something that we picked up from the guilds that we were feeding to, was there was a two-week probationary period during which a player that wanted to join the guild was allowed in on a status that basically did not guarantee that after two weeks they were going to be in the guild. They had no access to the vaults, and all they were there to do was to team with other players and so that everybody else could learn about them. So sort because of an the, interview process or a, a prove, your, prove your process. Yeah, process. 
Yeah, and basically what the idea was is that we didn't want anybody joining that wasn't going to try to help the guild. Mm-hmm. We didn't want anybody joining that was just there to get loot. Mm-hmm. And we definitely didn't want anybody joining who was a colossal pain in the butt. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Well, and it comes down in those situations to the meshing of personalities a lot of the time as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I kid you not, and this is going to sound so terrible, and I'm sure there's going to be people that comment about this and want to strangle me for it, but the last person you want running anything is a rogue. <laughs> well, Ryan, who is our editor for the podcast, ran a rogue and, uh, <laughs> and ended up our guild leader. <laughs> right before Every- he left. So, hey, Ryan, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> I'm sorry. Gameongirl.com. Yeah, leave your comments <laughs> on the site. <laughs> I, I kid you not. Rogues know their stuff. They know their stuff. They know how to get like the maximum amount of damage for the least amount of effort. Mad props for that. But every time I talked to one, it was always like, but the gear's like this. But when it comes down to it, it's your gear. And I'm looking at them going, I wear cloth and I do more DPS than you. I stand back and I go, let's see how much mana I can burn. And now we're just going to hit wand until we have mana again. <laughs> you know? Now, Regina, do you remember, is is Chris a mastery player? I think I had her as a mastery self mix Okay, from the, from the study. Um, because of some of the other stuff that she had talked about, which we haven't touched on with like avatar creation and the characters that she had played. But have you had a chance to look over the the gamer type since I put him up, Chris? No, not. I, I've been up to my butt in all kinds of work today. Yeah. <laughs> and my internet decided to go down over the weekend. That was fun. Lovely. <laughs> Jeez. We don't know anything about that happening, Rhonda, do we? Um, yeah. <laughs> I've had so many technical issues this week. It's just one in a forest. I mean. Well, I did find out something really cool. If either of you use Uverse, I was having problems with them uh, here. And if your internet goes down and they can track it and see if it did, if it was the router or the actual service, they'll actually refund you the money for the days that it was down. Oh, like, Wow. Yeah, you Shocking. just have to get a hold of them to do that. Right, of course, which if your internet isn't working might be a little challenging. But it's a super useful thing to know. Sure, it gives you $2, but it gives you $2 and the satisfaction of knowing that somebody else screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> so so with the, the characters that you have in Borderlands 2, how do you go about, you, you said you feel more ownership of them. Is that because of the skill trees or do you, do you spend some time with sort of um, aesthetic changes as well to make them sort of more yours? Oh, we play dress up. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so do we. <laughs> but um, it's mainly the skill trees. Like, honestly, I, in Borderlands, it's fun to have all the different skins and the heads and all that stuff. But ultimately, I don't really get to see that a hell of a lot because it's the first person's perspective. Right. But the skill trees, I mean, the fact that you can go through, build it out the way you want it. If that's not the way you want it, you run over to the dress up machine and hit reset. I mean, that's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I think I've done that more times than I'd like to count. <laughs> like I had my gauge build ready to go from like three weeks before she dropped. I knew exactly how I wanted it. And I'm barely getting to the point where it's finally finished. And now, so you said you have three gauges, right? Yeah. So do they each have the same build or do they have slightly different builds? Um, it's kind of like leaning toward very, very similar builds, but with slightly different tweaks on each one of them. Probably I'm going to end up getting rid of two of them once everybody I play with is at 50. Mm-hmm. But um, the one thing I cannot overemphasize is that if you're playing gauge and you don't have anarchy, you're doing it wrong. You know? <laughs> 
Like everybody can say that the best friends forever tree is great. That's fantastic if you really love your pet classes. But if you just really want to pop into a game and kill everything that's ever moved, you need anarchy. All right. Well, I don't know whether you mentioned or not. What type of character did you play in WoW? Oh, I was a warlock. Okay. Yeah. I think you said that. Yeah. So pet DPS and crowd control is like totally up my alley. But I always liked the DPS more than the pet. So maybe I guess somebody who liked the pet more might do the best friends forever tree. Well, that might be true, too. Yeah. Sort of having the, the attention off you as opposed to the attention on you would be the, the sort of way I would categorize those two different builds. Yeah, but I, I vastly prefer having a great shotgun and fading back when they come after me. <laughs> See, I just never have gotten into the shotguns. Oh, there are some beautiful shotguns, though. There are some truly beautiful shotguns. (laughs) Yeah, I'll stick with the sniper rifles for Borderlands. I like taking them out when they're very far away from me. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that. I I can definitely see that. Because, I mean, like when I was first playing, that was no problem because I went from playing like uh, the Hunter and Borderlands 1 to playing, you know, this and all the mechanics were like really similar so i was like Mm -hmm. used to pulling with the sniper moving into like a what's the little machine gun not the ar the uh the thingy that smg the thingy that nobody wants yeah 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 exactly (laughs) but i i would always take them because nobody wanted them so you could get really good stats on them yeah yeah (laughs) do you see that happening too Rhonda? yeah because well for the longest time i wasn't finding a decent smg at all and my character kind of lean toward either the assault rifles or the SMGs. And then finally, toward the end, I picked up a couple, two or three really nice ones. And so surprisingly, I swapped between those. For the longest time, it was nothing but pistols Mm -hmm. because I just kept finding these great pistols. Well, there's some really nice pistols. And I love the ones. I think it's the pistols, right, that you throw and they explode. Oh, those no, are the tier lines. I love those. I love yeah. that mechanic just cracks me up every time I see it. I'm like, oh, I just threw my gun at you and it blew up. I have a shotgun like that that has like a ridiculous amount of damage on it that explodes in corrosive. It is <laughs> so good in the Hyperion bunker. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I bet that's really effective. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, this is interesting. We recently uh, did an episode on permadeath. And we have decided to start introducing that question into our uh, mix. And I'm curious, have you ever played a game with permadeath? And whether you have or not, I kind of want to know what you think about the concept. Like Diablo Hardcore mode? Yeah. Yeah. I have played games that have like the permadeath type thing. And I can see its benefits and its detractions like really easily. First of all, it encourages you to be less reckless to build more carefully Mm -hmm. to take fewer risks but by doing that it also makes the learning curve seem that much more important Mm -hmm. and if you're not hitting all the right spots that the developers seem to think you should hit you kind of get into this situation where you have a character it's a certain level it's not built the exact right way for you to be able to survive something and so you get to a point and you die and you're just sitting there going why am I trying right yeah yeah it's interesting um you know that that we bring this up we actually had a comment on the website yesterday I think from um looking it up really quickly here uh Allie Jinx Allie Lynx and Essentially, it's a, it's, a, it's a really long, very well thought out comment, but um, she makes the observation that, you know, she's gaming to escape real life <laughs> and she doesn't want to have to be that careful playing. 
And that if she, you know, she, she knows that she takes risks at certain times because she knows she's supported by a healer and she's a WoW player, but she doesn't want to have that, that reality sort of inserted in or to have to be careful in this when she has to be careful in so many other aspects of her life. So that kind of ties in a little bit to what Chris was saying here about, you know. Yeah, but I think Chris's comment is, is brilliant because it, it, I mean, I think she was able to verbalize what I had been thinking on the fringes but couldn't mm-hmm. figure out in that just it goes back to the what you said at the very beginning basically it's a computer program it's uh it's math it's numbers right and so there is only so much reality you're going to be able to program into this thing but in some way or another the design is going to alter or affect the choices right and so then that takes you out of it i mean the permadeath i mean that's what that's what uh, so infuriated with me with Mass Effect 2 is in the end, your NPCs, certain NPCs get killed off based on what you did in the game. Well, I thought I was doing it right, and one of the ones I didn't want to die, died. Right. And, I mean, that type of thing is is really hard to control. I remember in the very first Deus Ex, there's a scene where you have to make a choice, and it determines whether or not um, this guy's brother dies. And we did what we found on the cheats that you were supposed to do, and the guy ends up dying anyway. And and was it were in both those situations? Was it set up so that in the narrative of the game, no matter what you did, that character was going to die? No. Oh, that's why. That's why we followed the the cheats because you wanted you could, to make sure you could. Yeah, control one of the two things was going to happen mm-hmm. in a later scene based on whether or not that you allowed this character to die or you prevented him from dying. Mm -hmm. And we thought we prevented it. We did what they said, and it wasn't really clear, and we found out later that he died anyway. Right. That's the kind of thing you're going to run into because, number one, you've got to have your your gameplay Mm -hmm. and your... HUD and your GUI and your navigation, all of that has got to communicate really well with the user. Right. And if, you know, you're clicking here and you're supposed to make him jump or he's supposed to hide behind the desk and then fire at the wall but not at the guy, you know, if you do that slightly wrong, I mean, that's zeros and ones. I think that comes back to part of what we talked about, too, um, in in the permadeath episode where we're talking about when it's the game mechanics that cause permadeath so so chris would you ever play in like hardcore mode like you would in diablo or anything like that would that be something you'd be you'd gravitate toward i would play something like that but it's kind of one of those things where it would need to be designed in such a way that i i've I've worked in the game industry before i did some marketing for a couple of the smaller developers but um a lot of the times when a designer designs a game they can get into this groove where they're so set with what they believe is right that they don't look outside of it. So they have this narrow mindset of what they think the ideal player is and how the idea play, ideal player will play. Right. And if you don't fit that, if you if you don't walk that line exactly, you'll either be too good or too or horrible, you know. Right. And then either way, your experience of the game is compromised. Exactly. And I think if they could design a game in such a way that that ideal path was like nice and large and just ready for multiple contingencies, then yes, there's absolutely room for permadeath. Right. But right now, a lot of people think that the way they play or the way their friends play or whatever they're most familiar with is how it's done. 
Yeah, we actually we had a guest actually a while back who said um, a lot of gamers tend to privilege their own experience, and that's that's essentially that basic idea taking their experience as the the best or the only way to experience the game. And if the research showed me anything, it was that especially in MMOs, the tendency to vary the types of experience was. Matt was just huge. That, that was almost as massive as the people playing it. Mm. <laughs> the numbers of ways that people would go in and play in the world that wasn't necessarily how it was designed to be played. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of like whenever you write a book and people start changing the meaning of it based on how they interpret it. Right. Uh, gameplay mechanics are the same way. You give them a cross pattern, two buttons, and all of a sudden you see people doing speed runs. Right. It was never intended. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, that wasn't the the way it was necessarily designed to be played. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's really great that people go in and sort of change the way that they do. But it becomes a complication when when that one style of play is privileged over over other types of of gaming, you know, kind of like you were saying about how what WoW devolved into. It devolved into spreadsheets and making sure everybody, you know, whoever got the gear and, you know, t- tracking the stats, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Not as much fun anymore. <laughs> oh, not by a long shot. There's a big difference between going, let's kill a boss and let's take a look at the numbers for what we'll need to kill a boss. Right. It sounds like a freaking status meeting in a Fortune 500 at that point. Right, exactly, exactly. It becomes more, more management than... than um, than pleasure or play. Well, another one of the questions that we've come across that we've kind of decided to add to our repertoire was, what would you say are the differences between a casual and hardcore gamer? Are there any difference? What do you think of the terms? Honestly, as somebody that went from being hardcore to to being somebody that has a job that takes up way too much time to be hardcore, (laughs) 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 I kind of find the terms to be really annoying. Uh, Within... The gaming community, you'll hear people refer to casual to talk about, like, the Facebook gamers. Right. right. And I kind of view casual more as something where you can you can be really good, but you don't have the time to build up, you know, a massive amount of people that you normally run with. You don't have a time to build up a following. You don't have the time to necessarily go on practice runs and stuff like that. It's either it's not like it's all or nothing. It's just that it's not the center of your universe, you know. Mm-hmm. So when you were when you were neck deep and and wow, did the hardcore gamer term mean more to you then? When I was neck deep in wow, I always told them I was hard enough core. I wasn't necessarily <laughs> hardcore. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Because <laughs> my butt showed up to practice runs. I did the rating. I absolutely was involved with guild management. But when it came down to game world versus real world, real world always won out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Making the choices between the two. Well, yeah. And part of the reason that I originally left WoW is because um, during my finals, my last semester of my senior year of college, I was told that my priorities were messed up because I was logging to study for a final. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, you guys have fun being crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go over here and not be crazy, okay? <laughs> well, as a college professor, I thank you for logging off to uh, to study your rare finals. Hey, it was anthropology. I had some stuff to memorize, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I can only write so many papers on the back of a Windrider. <laughs> and I did. I wrote, like, the vast majority of my term papers while on, you know, Windriders. But yeah. you, you can't sit there and memorize most of Western society right. while, while trying to play WoW. 
It's are impossible. You, are, yeah, well, you know, the vast majority of research about online life suggests that nobody actually multitasks. You just compromise, you know, the quality of what you're doing <laughs> generally when you try to do things like that. So, and there are some activities that do, you know, take your full attention. As I tell my students when they're trying to talk, when I ask them to write in class, I tell them that writing and talking are mutually exclusive events. <laughs> just yeah, they are. Be ha- spewing words out of your mouth and actually writing down effectively. So, <laughs> even waiters have to, uh, Stop talking to write down your word. <laughs> exactly, right? They, you know, yeah, exactly. They look down at that. I might use that as an example next time that comes up. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've kind of talked about a lot of aspects of gaming. And, I mean, you've covered, a, I mean, you've gone from the hardcore MMOs and uh, what you talk about now as far as a more, probably a more balanced entertainment with it. So looking back, we're going to go back to the original question from, from the very beginning. Then what would you say that it, a gamer is? How would you define gamer? Um, honestly, I've been having this conversation with somebody very recently. And it's funny because we were talking about the differences between gamers and hipsters where you know, my opinion is better than yours. I'm better at you than this. I played it before you. I did this before you. I knew about it before. It's really similar. It's scary. Interesting. I hadn't really thought about sort of like lining those two up, but I could see how that would end up happening. Yeah. Think think about like a a hipster with their bands versus a gamer with their games. Yeah. 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 Like for instance, and and let's just go with the most obvious example, the Final Fantasy progression. Mm Mm-hmm. I knew that this version was actually this version in Japan, and we never got this one and this one and this one. And I mean, I know I should technically know which Final Fantasies made it and which ones did it, but frankly, I am no longer in high school trying to fit in by showing off, so I really don't care anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that game in particular, (laughs) that franchise tends to have the most oddly adamant fans. Rabid fanboys. Yeah, it's just crazy. (laughs) It is just crazy. It's just, it's a really interesting sort of uh, community. I don't know if I want to call it a community. (laughs) But even your Metal Gear players are like that. It's like, I think it jumped the shark when it made it to this system, you know, or I was able to beat it without ever killing anyone. What's up? Right. So then do you think that the term gamer tends to be inherently problematic because of that sort of tension between like who knows more and who can prove their cred better etc etc it's still a hipster thing gamers are just hipsters by another name (laughs) (laughs) you know um i i know more about a band because i read pitchfork i read enemy i read you know, the band's blog, blah, 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 blah. Well, I know more about Borderlands because I had my character build ready to go when the game launched Mm -hmm. and I was reading the developer diaries Mm -hmm. and I knew about it when it was announced at, what was it, like E3 two years before or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same thing in the same damn attitude. It's just a very specific subset of it. Yeah. I don't think the term gamer is derogatory in and of itself, but I think what people are turning it into, and it's the gamers themselves that are turning it into them, this, but what they're turning it into that makes it derogatory. Right. I, I look at the term gamer and I see what it's done for me. It's gotten me to a point where I can 
manage a team of people that are all over the place. And so now my job involves managing people that are located all over the country. I can handle high stress situations. I can stay up all night working on something that is incredibly stressful and I know nothing about it, but it has to get done and not have a problem with it. So you think that um, part of what you got from gaming was people management and problem solving? Absolutely. I, If you haven't played an MMO, you can't realize that a good 75% of the game isn't the game. Mm-hmm. It's messing with other people's heads. <laughs> <laughs> or, or or trying to bring them together. <laughs> Which is still messing with their heads. <laughs> I like this girl, Regina. I know. <laughs> I had no doubt. <laughs> it's like, I mean, let's say you have like five of the best players that have ever played WoW all trying to get together to let's just for argument's sake run a battleground okay most of the people that are considered good players are not necessarily considered good pvp players because they've been working on pve for so long so the mindset is different mm-hmm. so you have one person who knows pvp really well and can equate everything that they've done in pve with all the pvp stuff you can tell the warlock to have the fell hunter out because you'll be able to identify when the rogues are around you can tell a rogue to make sure that you have backstab or a backstab like fully specked out so that you can kill really quickly because that's what it depends on. You know, it's things like that. Like your mage, don't be an arcane mage. You need ice on this one, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's that people management skill. And then trying to put it together and say it in such a way that people will feel like it was their idea as opposed (laughs) to you feeding it to them. Because God knows you can never make a person do something that they don't think is their idea. You know. <laughs> Trust me, I, I'm a composition teacher, <laughs> a college composition teacher. <laughs> you can walk in and say, here's a great idea. Know the difference between there, there, and there. But right. they're not going to like it until they're on Reddit and somebody calls them out. Exactly, exactly. I can't, I can't make it important to them until they figure out where it fits in their life. Exactly. Right. You can call it screwing with people's heads. You can call it people management. You can call it just being kind of a human truncheon. Whatever it is, it translates really well to real life. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we, we would definitely agree with that, I think. Yeah. Both of us have, have you know, taken life lessons, et cetera, from the game experiences that we've had. So it's 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 convincing other people. <laughs> well, I absolutely think there there's room in higher education for um, the admissions process and the enrollment process every semester to be gamified. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. if they felt like they were doing something other than crap they have to do, right? maybe it would get done. Yeah. Another place it could be used to great effect would be to have all of uh, a group discussion for a project framed up within a game. Oh, because that's a great he, idea. That is a great idea. He will talk about a lot of stuff when you're running an instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he will talk about a lot of stuff, but if you stick five people together in a room and tell them, here's a project, finish it, yeah, one person will do all the work and four people yes. will screw around. Interesting. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to incorporate um, experience points into my grading. <laughs> so then instead of them thinking about getting a grade or that they automatically start at an A and everything they get wrong takes them away from that, how mm-hmm. to do it the other way around where they start at zero and build up and can see the the progress of their work. Like one person I know said that, during meetings for long-term projects, the company that she works at will sponsor like a lunch and leave a 
copy of Apples to Apples in the middle of a conference room table. Nice. I mean, it's not like you're telling them, play this and it'll help you, but people do play and they start seeing how other people think. Right, right. They used to do that at IBM. They used to leave um, desk games out on the uh, tables in the lunchroom for people to play and sort of engage the other parts of their mind when they were researchers. So it would have to be something that's very objective because you can't have somebody that can just stand there, dominate the whole thing and be like, I'm the best because I've been playing it for five years and right, you haven't. Exactly. Well, I really hate to end the conversation. <laughs> it was so much fun. But let's just leave it with this. If you were to give someone advice who is going to start playing MMOs, who want to get into MMOs, uh, what kind of advice would you give them? Whatever you need to do, do that before you log on. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. homework to do do your homework before you log on if you need to get food go get food if you have to go to the bathroom do that for god's sake <laughs> because once you sit down you are not going anywhere <laughs> now see what came to my mind <clears throat> which is really disturbing when you say do what you need to do i was thinking spreadsheets <laughs> I had friends that would do that. They told me that the smartphone was the greatest thing that ever happened to them because they would do spreadsheets on their phone in the bathroom at work. And I'm just like, so these are literally the crappiest spreadsheets ever. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's wrong in just so many ways. (laughs) It really is. Well, thanks for coming, Chris. We really had a good time. It was, I'm sure it was nice for Regina to talk to you again. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was fantastic being here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. And I'll, I'll share some links on the website to uh, if anybody wants to find your your Twitter and your Tumblr site. So, we'll yeah, get- and I'll let you guys know when I get a, d- a date for the next Extra Life Marathon. Yes, please keep us in the loop because I think yeah, that I'm would be nice. Think that Rhonda and I can both participate in that for you guys this coming year. So yeah, I'm still working on trying to find the uh, the what the person to talk to in your area. So I haven't forgotten. Okay, it's just everybody's been on vacation. Oh uh, yeah, then that happens this time of year, especially when their event is in October. October. So I can, I can, I can wait. (laughs) But thanks again for joining us, Chris. Yeah, thank you for having me. Well, we really enjoyed our talk today with Chris Brady. If you would like to chime in, ask any questions or have any feedback about what we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. You can check out the website, gameongirl.com, and you'll find all kinds of links there to get hold of us. In our community section, we're going to talk about one of the articles from our new writer, Sharon. She talked about the strong emotions she felt when leaving an MMO. Her article was titled, Parting is Such Sweet Sorrow. And she discusses her experiences leaving an MMO and asked if she's the only one who felt this kind of grief leaving a game behind. And the answer, Sharon, is a resounding no. You are not alone. No, uh, as usual, that we find some notes that that really hit with some of our listeners, and they were very <laughs> open with their feedback in regards to the, their feelings with this type of thing that 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 happens when you leave a game, especially MMOs. And I think that's a very important qualifier. And I'm wondering if we, as we talk about this, we can keep the gamer types in mind and and see whether or not that the responses fall primarily in the role-playing area or whether or not they're they're pretty spread across the board. I mean, I know I'm a self-player and 
I don't do the MMOs, uh, but I've had loss experiences with my characters. Right. But right. is that what we're talking about today? So if we if we take Sharon's parameters, our listeners' feedback discussed their feelings about leaving the game and why they left the game. So first of all, in general, the, the main reasons that the gamers eventually or finally left the game. And usually this is after a great deal of time. The game developers changed the game such that it made it no fun to play anymore. Um, their friends quit playing. They achieved everything in the game they could achieve. Or the gameplay became a grind. Mm-hmm. That was a very popular word in, in descriptions of why people left MMOs. That, that It was no longer fun. It became like work. Yeah, and I think game developers should pay attention to when that word pops up because it's like a definition of a game that's not fun to play. Right, exactly. And what drives people away from, you know, if subscription-based, I mean, that's part of what Sharon was talking about, yeah. subscription MMOs, where you're paying a monthly fee to play a game. And we're seeing an evolution away from that in the MMO market just in general. Um, but there are still quite a few games out there that you have to pay a monthly fee to play. So when it comes down to your players start saying, this is too much work. Even our interview this episode said the same thing. She said she left WoW because it started to feel like wow, like work instead yeah. of play. She didn't enjoy it anymore. So if, if that is the reason why people are up and leaving, developers definitely need to take note of that. Well, the first thing we're going to talk about is the whys. And Eric O left a comment on the blog about Star Wars Galaxies. He said that SOE ruined a good thing they once had, talking about the gaming company. Because of this, friends I played with were not logging in. The stories and adventures were getting stale. And I felt after I'd done everything once that my character stories were just more of the same. Similarly, he played WoW and said raiding was exceedingly unfriendly and in some cases downright hostile. So it's not always just a gaming company that kind of ruins a game for people. Not at all. And that that was another sort of... If we're to pick like two two things that were sort of played back and forth, it was people not enjoying the game content anymore. Like Eric said, the repetition of the, the same kinds of activities over and over again or the same story over and over again was, you know, not engaging, maybe not enough new content, et cetera, that kind of thing. That's a game problem. The second thing that he said about raining was when it comes down to being downright hostile, that's people that you're interacting with, which is another complication, of course, for MMOs and one reason why you avoid them, Rhonda. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and also, we've talked to a lot of people who played WoW, and I still kind of hold out that the game developers are somewhat responsible for creating that environment, but... That's a theory still out there. Actually, um, another guest we had a, a few episodes back, Chris Ritter, that was one of the things that he talked about in his dissertation, that because they make it so the two factions can't actually talk to each other, um, the Horde and the Alliance, on the game server, if you try to whisper to somebody who's on a, on the opposing side, it will just come up as gibberish. He's, he thought it created an environment of um, uh, binaries, like you, you yeah. can't other people so they sort of created that and although that's you know game mechanics i think those ideas do tend to seep into guilds and raids and the people who end up just interacting in general on the game well mark also left a comment he's one of our writers but mark said i find that if an mmo gets to be too grindy it's just a job i'll walk away i miss the characters a bit but I have the memories of them. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that he brings up here about um, having good memories of your characters. (laughs) 
because really if we're going to see it, what sort of transcends the MMO, then that would be it. The, the characters and the experiences that you have that you enjoy are what you take away from it. Yeah, and the, the, the gameplay really contributes to whether or not that, number one, you have a memorable experience, but that's a whole nother level when you're able to actually create a character that's memorable. And I can only think of a couple of instances for that, that, that that's happened for me. Yeah, I've, I've only had a couple of times with that as well where I really hold on to the experiences. And one of them is from WoW. I really did enjoy playing the Warlock that I played uh, and had lots of great times. Some of them that I wrote about on the site as well where, you know, I did my first raid and, you know, I felt really successful after having finished it. You know, there are those moments that you carry with you. Maybe that's more valuable than we think. Well, well, on Twitter, we got some comments also about the whys of leaving a game. Tara at Tara at underscore Windwalker. I left two MMOs after investing years of time and money. I feel grief for the MMO that closed down. The other lost my respect and money. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very curious as to which one she's talking about. My, my assumption about the one that closed down is City of Heroes, which closed um, yeah. a few, just recently, right? I'm not sure exactly when it was that it had closed down, but I know it's in the recent past. Yeah. And I'm wondering what the one that, uh, that lost her respect was. Yeah, I, I would put bets on it. <laughs> I'll run the numbers, but I don't think the odds will be very good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. And and it's sad when you think about that, you know, both of those are sort of very um, unfortunate things to have happen. That an MMO that you enjoyed, you feel grief because it's closed its doors. And the other, that it lost your respect because of game changes or, you know, policy changes or whatever else they might have done to it. Yeah, I remember playing a, a PC game a really long time ago. It was a wonderful game. And we just, we loved it so much. And we had played a lot of franchise games up to that point. And we actually emailed the company and said, are you going to come out with another game this was a beautiful game and we loved it and they were like it was just too expensive to make oh and that that's the same kind of feeling i think when you get a really good game it's just that's sort of like you would say well that's just life you know yeah and yeah. you just you were glad to have the experience and it's, that some developers were actually able to put their dream to life at all it's a very difficult process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much that goes into it, and we shouldn't take lightly what the developers do to create games because, you know, none of us are game de game developers, so we don't know all of what goes into that. Although I do know it goes into making a dissertation, so. Yeah. <laughs> Blood, <laughs> sweat, and tears. Exactly. And caffeine. I know copious amounts of caffeine. <laughs> and other fluids. Um. <laughs> Well, the other side of the conversation was about feelings, and that was one of the main questions that Sharon asked is, how did you feel? And that always is kind of an interesting question to ask about a game, but the feelings, the words that kept popping up were very strong words, very uh, emotional, uh, like breaking up with someone or like breaking a relationship, feeling dejected. Um, bitterness, uh, also having fond memories, which is also something that you have from uh, the loss of a, a good relationship, and not having any regrets, um, enjoying the journey and enjoying uh, the memories and all of that, all of these things sound like loss. Right? <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean, and, and when I posted Sharon's article to Twitter, I asked, you know, point blank, do you mourn leaving a game? a game we played long term, do you do you mourn it? And and that's that's exactly what these 
descriptors are describing the mourning process. Even the anger or being, you know, being yeah. loser game, even the anger, that's that's all part of mourning as well. So, yeah, Eric said about leaving Star Wars Galaxies, it was an extremely emotional time. We developed strong friendships with every person who joined our guild. So quitting the game felt like breaking off a friendship multiplied by each friend I had to say goodbye to. Right, because we often tend to forget that the the second M in MMO is, no, the first one, massively. The first M is massively, right? (laughs) So you do tend to come across a lot of people. Yeah, and I think that's an an important part of Sharon's question and uh, and about this discussion. Yes, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's those multiple connections that you make and those friendships you forge, how the experiences in game bring you closer together or push you further apart, just like any other experiences would. I thought it was really interesting. Eric mentioned about uh, City of Heroes getting shut, shut down and how he wanted to go out there before the server shut down, but he missed it. He said, I would have logged on into my old characters on the last day to say goodbye to the right. great game. But sadly, I only heard about it after they had been closed. It's, it's interesting if you think of sort of the personification that goes along in there. Not not just, you know, uh, I wanted to say goodbye to my friends, which had probably already happened when he left the game. But I wanted to say goodbye to my characters. Yeah. And, and Eric is a role player as well. Um, uh, probably a little bit self, a little bit role player. Um, so I think that, that when he says characters, he's talking about characters the way that Sharon would be talking about characters, the ones that create backstories for and have whole sort of narratives about. Yeah, Sharon's the one that brought up um, harboring bitterness against a game. Uh, she also was a fan of Star Wars Galaxies, and she said she will forever harbor bitterness in her heart for SOE and what they did to the game that I loved. Yeah, it's interesting if you think, um, you know, people just in general tend to hold grudges (laughs) when they've been hurt. (laughs) But we also see a fair amount of sort of uh, bitterness and hurt that is being held for these game companies and, you know, what you did to my game kind of atmosphere or idea. Yeah, it's an aspect they've got to think about that they're getting involved in. If they if they want players invested like this, and if they're dealing, especially in role playing type games and in gaming communities with live people, um, you're asking for things on a PvP personal relationship level right you know adrian hunter responded on uh twitter at the meaner geek mourn i was flat out dejected leaving my poor matsu and antioch and redux and redux and soon to be left antiochian yeah i love that he lists all the names of his characters yeah (laughs) that's something i've noticed in our interviews and and please forgive me uh meaner geek if i mispronounce those i know that that's important um, but also if you listen to the show, you know that Rhonda can't read the English, but, um, <laughs> yeah, the, the, I've noticed that the people that we interview, they know specific exactly about their characters' names. They'll say, well, so-and-so did this and then so-and-so in this game and so-and-so in this game. And I'm amazed at, at what they remember and how personal it is. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of deep connection that's forged between gamers and their avatars. And when I think about, it's just occurring to me the sort of controversy that's come up about Lara Croft. And I said some of that, you know, it's harder to objectify a character that has more depth. You know, I think maybe also part of what goes on for people, even in out of MMO games, when you connect on a deep level with a character like you did with your femme Shep, right? Yeah. 
when you that kind of deep personal, you know, connection, whether it is them as a character, as a role player, or as a, an extension of yourself as a self gamer, or as a mastery player where you've put all that time and energy into uh, making that character the best that they can be. Oh, yeah. All of those, you know, are so personal for people that they feel these these deep connections to these to these characters that they create. And I think that's a fantastic process. I think how it's how it should be. I feel the same way about characters in a novel that I connect mm, to. Yeah, very I a, interesting. I have a hard time finishing a book sometime that I've really enjoyed. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the, I mean, there are two or three occasions I know where I've I've finished just a phenomenal book, and I'm so disappointed. I mean, I am so disappointed there are no more Jane Austen novels, and there never will be. <laughs> I mean, that's so and that and that so many people are feeling that about George R. R. Martin, um, the guy who wrote Game of Thrones, because he hasn't finished the series. Oh, yeah. but he's and people are very worried he's not going to finish the series. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Some people feel about Tolkien and, you know, the Samarillion and all that stuff and, and wanting to see sort of the bits and pieces of the, the rest of what he could have been writing. So, you know, we do feel this this personal connection to these things that we that we observe or we engage in. So, well, I want to close with one comment on Twitter from uh, Uzi Suzuki with uh, a regular follower. I have a hard time replaying the games with characters I've had a hard time leaving. What she's saying is I have a hard time going back to a game that I've had to go through the breakup process with. Right. She's already had to go through that distance and and ending once. It's hard to go back and to know ahead of time that you're going to have to have the same ending with, you know, the character again. Yeah, I think the comment is really, really interesting because that's, I mean, if you were to see it, if you were to take out the word games, you would you would think she's talking about uh, relationships, real life relationships. Well, and I think the depth of what connection people feel to their game characters, to their um, the characters that you love in novels, I think those all feed on the same emotional spaces for us. And that connection is part of what, you know, brings us together and engages everybody. So, well, this is an ongoing conversation, obviously, and there's a lot of feelings and emotions out there about it. And I I find it very interesting to hear everybody's feedback. So the more information that we get, uh, the more things that you can share with us about playing MMOs and especially MMOs you had to lead. um, It's really insightful to the gaming community in general. You can leave your comments on our blog at GameOnGirl.com or we're on Twitter at Game underscore on underscore girl. Uh, All of our communication links are on the website, so check us out. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm Rhonda Oglesby. You can follow me on Twitter at RoRoom. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. You can read my tech blog at JewelOnTheFrog.com. I'm on email, Rhonda at GameOnGirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs, as I'm known on Twitter. Many, many thanks to Chris Brady for coming on the show today and yeah, helping us talk. wonderful. It was a fantastic interview, and uh, we really thank her for her time, and we really do look forward to getting hooked up with Extra Life and, and participating in their event next year, um, which we would encourage all of you to do. Game on Girl is available on iTunes and Stitcher Streaming. These links, along with references made in the show, can be found on our website, GameOnGirl.com. This podcast is edited by Ryan Broom at Desert Tree Media, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons attribution license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, game on.